0: Bop, 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 I'm, wait- bop, I'm waiting bop, for bop. you to jump in, John. You had a why great. Why can't idea. we just? Why can't we just do random noises? <laughs> bop, 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 bop. Lay the traffic. <laughs> That's anti-Semitic. Right? How dare you? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring up tropes. Um, <laughs> by the way, I can pledge myself completely to Israel. I I favor a <laughs> foreign and apartheid states over the United States of America. Another kind of apartheid oh. state. Think about it. I mean, we're not officially there, but we're getting close. No, we're there in spirit um, because I know a Jewish person. So anytime they're attacked (laughs) by somebody astutely pointing out that uh, Israel has an outsized lobby in the United States government, I feel personally attacked. There you go. There you go. I mean, I always thought of the Liebermans as as one of the family. As one of the family. Indeed they were because they were a state away from the the one we grew up in. The terrible state that's only insurance companies and (laughs) endless, endless forests. Are you talking, excuse me, Greg, what? that is where they film Flea Market Flip, so I will not have you disparage the great state of Connecticut. <laughs> Flea okay? Market Flip, is that the show where they take bad old furniture and make new bad furniture out of it? You know what, we've already talked about this, but I don't care, I'm going to bring it up again. Flea Market Flip is the best show on television. That is not okay? true, that is patently untrue. Everyone always complains that like, oh, American TV is like too high stakes. It's like, are you kidding? This show's great because they're fighting literally over like fifty to one hundred dollars. Like that is the amount of money they're making on this show, and it's perfect. I love it. I'm here for I'm, it. It is uh, giving me life, as the young people say these days. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. the The idea of just um, smooth comfort food and television. Mm-hmm. Because I started to watch the Great British Bake Off or the Great British baking show, however you want to... Well, well, welcome to six years ago. Exactly. Exactly. I'm way behind the curve on these things. I I acknowledge Mm -hmm. that, John. But I will push back on on one huge idea. Everyone said, like, oh, it's such a gentle show. Oh, everyone's so supportive. No, my nerves are still racked (laughs) watching... (laughs) A, how the hell do they make their cookies stand up? B, like the, the fact that uh, who are the two hosts, Mary Berry, Paul Hollywood, or whatever. The fact that they are so gentle just makes it all the more devastating. Because at least <laughs> were it like a Gordon Ramsay, you could at least acknowledge, like, okay, they're they're playing it up for television. No, whatever criticisms they have cuts deep because it sounds so earnest and probably true. <laughs> yeah, it's <that's> true. <laughs> well, I mean, Paul Hollywood just. Based on process of elimination, kind of is the one positioned to be like the stern, tough one. Yeah. And so everyone's like, "Oh, praise from Paula Hollywood! Oh, like mana from heaven!" But you know, even he's like, you know, "Oh, good, good bike there. Mm, solid bottom. <laughs> you know, classic, classic Britishisms." i mean, I assume. Yeah. You've been there. You, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's the other thing too. Is their their critiques? They I'm watching the earlier episodes, so there are, what, 20 contestants or something? An outrageous <laughs> number. So they only have time within, an, within the hour uh, time limit to basically say, like, get in two lines to say, like, oh, good bake, you know, good, uh, not, mm. not too dry. <laughs> and that's all I can say, really. <laughs> so I'm, I can't fall one way or the other saying, like, one judge is harsher than the other. Okay. Well, all right. So uh, as soon as you're done with that, because I think there's only, like, five seasons available on Netflix, you can always flip over to the family baking show. Which is pretty much the same premise, except now it's like groups of families baking together. like uh-huh. And, you know, they like obviously only do it on the weekends, and then they go home, and they practice. And, you know, so that one kind of has an added layer of you get to watch these family dynamics. And, you know, there's that whole understated tone, that cutting British wit that they all have towards each other. So I think you should check out that show. I think there's two seasons on Netflix now. Okay. So. A little mini-spotlight. Pre-movie. pre, pre movie. We're talking spotlights here, guys. Exactly. We've got stuff to recommend all over the place, all over the shop. I mean, we should really, we should really change up the formula. Uh, bit, you, think you think so? After, oh, what, 123 episodes? I think, yeah, it's about time to switch things up. I've run out of okay. spotlights a long time ago. I don't have a whole lot, lot more to recommend. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greg, that just means that you're not exposing yourself to new things. That's Actually, that's, fair. that's kind of the premise of the podcast, isn't it? Indeed it is. Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast, where we revisit classic movies, which we probably should have seen by now, or at least we should see if we're going to expand our horizons. Exactly. A lot of the time, this comes in the form of uh, movies that have won plaudits and accolades and gold hardware and all that other stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And it also comes in the form of exposing ourselves to some new things, whether it be like uh, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, for you recommending a movie to me. Or let's say the <laughs> the films of Asgard Pahardi or something, you know, if, <laughs> if I'm recommending a movie to you. So we oh, are okay. exposing each other to kind of new stuff. And now this week, we've got something that ticks both those boxes. Yes. Because I do not we... like musicals. <laughs> And I don't like old movies because ew old gross movies smell <laughs> gross. No, John, come on. This is a this is not only did it earn ten Academy Awards back in the day, but I think it's still a cultural phenomenon, even to this present moment. Because this week we finally got a chance to watch for the very first time mm. West Side Story. Watch
1: this, John. Yeah. Hey.
0: You're way off. <laughs> you're off. I'm fine.
1: <laughs>
0: the Skype beat. is terrible. On the downbeat. Downbeat. Right. <laughs> when oh, you're shit, a jet, you're shit. a right. jet. To your first cigarette, to your last dime. Pivot, breath, uh, no, change, it's pivot, shovel, heel, plié, spin. I thought a kickball change. <laughs> nope. and and what did I you drop? I just kicked something. I just kicked something off the table. Oh, I didn't well. literally mean. <laughs> ball I'm heel, animated. Pivot, okay. Shovel. I don't know what. I talk with my body. <laughs> it is my tool. It is my weapon. Oh, now the cat's eating it. Damn it. Oh, well. Okay, so West Side Story. You've already spoken a little bit about the pedigree. Yeah. But I think also a very interesting tidbit about this movie is the fact that it, it it covers a lot of bases. And even though I think the reputation of this movie is, ah, it's another road show musical in the vein of, like, Hello Dolly or My Fair Lady. I think there's a lot more going on to it. And I think there's two filmmakers in particular who cite it as a big influence, which shows kind of how wide-stretched the appeal of this movie is. It is mm-hmm. one of the favorite movies of one Michael Bay, absolutely, and it is also <laughs> it is also one of the favorite movies of one Lars von Trier. Yeah. So two a filmmakers true fact you would nev- it, John. No lies detected here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so those are two filmmakers you assume would not enjoy a musical, but they enjoy this one. Greg, why do you think that is? Uh well, I think part of it is a technical achievement because, as you said it's got the grandeur of a seventy millimeter film uh but mm-hmm. also technicolor uh it's it's from the opening moments it's a it's a big bright shiny you know kind of wonderful experience so there's that there's also the kind of time timelessness of it because it is adapting Romeo and Juliet to the kind of um <laughs> the romance story of all time pretty much. Mm, I hope it ends happily this time. I, well, we'll get we'll get there and see how it ends and see whether uh, whether whether it improves on Shakespeare's original vision. Who knows? I mean, it's no Romeo and Juliet. I'll tell you that much. No, or Tristan and Isolde. But anyway, that's the joke I probably should have made to make myself look smart. But um, I think the. There is something from the from the opening moments where there's no uh there's no dialogue. It it almost has the appeal of a silent movie. Like it 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 expands across all languages and genres and things like that. Uh cliches like that. <laughs> that um <laughs> yes, I can see why it would appeal to um a really dark brooding uh weirdo like Lars von Trier or a hyper masculine uh idiot like Michael Bay. <laughs> I wouldn't say Michael Bay's an idiot. I would just say he's cynical. So what's cynical? Just, let's, eh, no, I think that's <laughs> putting it generously. The idiocy of his films earnestly. If I'm okay, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Can't argue that. Um, you're absolutely right. There's a hell of a lot of craft on display here, and what I love about it is the fact that typically when you're adapting a stage musical or any kind of stage theater production mm-hmm. to screen, you have to kind of zhuzh it up. You kind of have to translate into how is this actually going to be on screen. And I think this does a fantastic job in terms of just pure staging, especially in that opening number where, you know, they're playing basketball and then throw the ball and it's just the camera perfectly moves along with the ball and then into someone's hands. It's just perfect blocking. Throughout, and again, like you said, wordless, absolutely wordless. So the Mm. cinematography really kind of has to capture everything. Yep, Leonard Bernstein's, uh, excuse me, Leonard Bernstein's score is really the star too. Um, (laughs) That is also. I (laughs) think we should also comment on just the talent behind this project. Like uh, Leonard Bernstein or Bernstein, excuse me, on music, Stephen Sondheim on lyrics, Mm -hmm. Uh, Jerome Robbins coming from Broadway to actually direct his first movie. But they they also handed it off to a guy named Robert Wise. John, do you know who Robert Wise is? Uh, I know he did the Sound of Music. That's pretty yeah. Much all I know. <laughs> so he, he's anonymously sort of a legend. Like I don't think a lot of people know that he did this movie or the Sound of Music or and was eclectic because he also did Star Trek: The Motion Picture and a lot of other great movies and cut his teeth as an editor, um, snipping together a little film you might have heard of called Citizen Kane. So oh, there you yeah. go. <laughs> So you're saying he's got some chops. Yes, I, I, I'd assume so. So you could see you could okay. see the kind of pedigree this movie has. Um, do you think it lives up past that opening number? Because I do have to admit that that opening number is quite the highlight. And when I was like watching it, I was enthralled. And then it can't help but kind of feel like a letdown once it kind of settles into, sadly, those musical numbers that don't rely completely on dancing, I feel like do feel a little staid and a little unambitious. Yeah, that that's how I was gonna sum my review up in three words. Not enough dancing. (laughs) 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 Yes. (laughs) Not enough dancing. Hey Jerome Robert, I've got a tip for you. (laughs) As I do spins and which is, it, which is hard to say when you've got a, mu- uh, a musical with the lyrics of Stephen Sondheim. For me to yeah. say, like, uh, maybe they <laughs> could have gone with more dancing is kind of perfect. Well, I, how old is, is, um, Robert, is Stephen Sondheim a, a Highlander? Because t- he's still working today, <laughs> right? And to see he was doing, st- doing musicals back in the 50s, what, almost 70 years ago? Almost 70 years? Well, he was, he was a protege of uh, Hammerstein. So that's why he's, he's always kind of had this pedigree. Yeah, so okay. he's always he's always been ar- he's been around at least since the '40s. The, no, J- John, that explains nothing about his age. How is he? How, is he oh, a vampire? It's because like, he's never he never leaves his house. That's why. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's, I see. he's apparently it. kind of a reckless Obviously, he does the odd interviews every once in a while, but I think the the at least from my uh, assumption, he's a bit of a shut-in. So, <laughs> no, okay, Got he wasn't right. out in the '70s at Studio 54 doing coke off of boners, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> Yeah. Which he was well as in his right to, I would say. He's <laughs> <Yes>. earned it. <laughs> but you're right. This is a this is a big. This initially begins a big Technicolor dream, uh, a pre uh, sexual revolution kind of extravagance, mm. <laughs> um, which everybody can kind of get behind. At a world cap, set in a Sentinel world capital in New York City, uh, you could. Claimed also there's diversity too in the fact that it um, includes Italian, Irishmen, <laughs> and uh, people wearing uh, shoe polish to play <laughs> I Puerto yes, Rico. I, <laughs> I don't think those are the primary races that you should be concerned yourself with. <laughs> No, but you know, it has something for everybody until, like, yeah, the movie has to slow down, including being something for everybody. That includes telling the tragic love story of two star-crossed lovers. And that's that's where it really falls down. Like I I would have much preferred, say, uh, a a musical about gangland warfare <laughs> versus say these two dips. I mean, God God bless Natalie Wood and Richard Bame, Bamer. I'm sure they're wonderful people or or were wonderful people. Natalie Wood, God bless. Um, <laughs> don't do barbiturates on a boat, kid. Oh no. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's once we get to their storyline, it really drags and. You know, this is much. This is a much better served movie. Say, watching your favorite clips and snippets on YouTube um, than actually enduring the two and a half hour runtime uh, to, on Netflix today.
1: Maria, I'll never stop saying Maria, 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 Maria. Maria, Maria. it's almost like gray Maria I'll never stop saying Maria
0: um, I disagree I do think as a whole this movie is fantastic and I loved it um, mm-hmm. I do kind of admit that it can't really kind of pick up from those opening musical no- moments, mostly just because there's that camp factor that it also has to kind of compete with. <laughs> the fact that they're, the, you know, these, these two gangs, they're rumbling balletically, you know. It's, like, there is this kind of, like, over the top earnestness that it really kind of hits home in that first act, and then it hits intermission, and then it becomes, like, the kind of dramatic kind of camp. I don't know if it can kind of survive that dip. And the other kind of strange thing about it. As well is that they actually had to reorder some songs because some of the songs that are meant to be kind of like overly comedic happen after the rumble after two two of the leads After have the died, which... yes, I mean you're right. There is that incongruity of like uh, street toughs like snapping and doing plies. <laughs> there, there, it's very comedic seeing that disconnect there. However, I, I, be- I began to accept it because obviously this movie has some, a big message on its heart, you know, against non-violence, and you can see the consequence of of street violence and territorialism, and you know, why can't we all just get along? Mm-hmm. That's what the movie is trying to espouse. So I can see like how dance and music or hell even film is a conduit for that yeah. but you're you're right once it actually does have to get to the nitty-grittiness of that message i'm sorry it plies and other things are not equipped to deal with that see i i didn't feel that disconnect as hard because again it's so earnest about it mm. that it never for a second like winks uh, to the audience it's... like how ridiculous does this look it just again it's a direct adaptation from stage to screen and so i think it carries it through there and that's why the movie completely works now granted i will agree with you once we do kind of get to the romance and just the two of them singing mm. and the rest of the background fades out in a Barbara Walters, you know, <laughs> screen effect. <laughs> um, you know, I can't help but get a little bored. That I did not mind so much. Really? Uh, the, it, yeah, it, because it felt like a little adaptation. It felt like they were using the language of film and, and kind of skewing your perspective mm-hmm. uh, rather than like having it just be on a stage, presumably uh, handling with the lighting. But yeah, I do want to go back to that that point in which adaptation was involved, that they did have to reorder songs because after a moment in which um, two characters are murdered, mm-hmm. which again has almost nothing to do with the snappy, <laughs> you know, technicolor dream that was the first act of the movie. I mean, that stabbing scene though is as dramatic as you would expect just pure winning <laughs> gangsters to be. <laughs> like, you know, like he gets stabbed he drops it's like, ah! and he drops the knife. He has his hands up for like four minutes, it feels like. <laughs> yes, and then. <laughs> with a slightly limp wrist. Um, Shut up! Saying I know. Saying to, I what? I wasn't commenting on anything. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Jordan Peterson. I'm just I'm Russ just Hamplin, I'm just speaking Russ, truths Russ, here, Russ people. <laughs> Russ Tamplin Russ is the man's man. Okay. <laughs> I did look up his personal life on on IMDb, and uh, it's a strong, strong, uh, strong husband. Uh, <laughs> multiple times husband, <laughs> but. Greg, you just can't keep a good man down. No, he he just does this r- ridiculous spin, and <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to it it really undercuts the realism or or what's supposed to be a a pretty dour sequence when it's so like badly kind of choreographed. Like, here, my friend, take the the torch that is this knife and and stab your lover's brother. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but again, isn't that again part of the direct adaptation from Romeo and Juliet? It has to happen, you know. There has to be consequences. Nice. <laughs> Well, th- yeah, but it doesn't have to be handled in such a ridiculous way. <laughs> I disagree. I think it, it could have gone away with even being even more ridiculous. But I'm, uh, again, going back to that point, it feels like, it feels like we've been here three times. But <laughs> um, in terms of reordering songs, I'm glad you brought that up because in the stage show, following this death, uh, this ridiculously staged death in the movie, um, that's when we launched into one of the other big hits from the soundtrack, uh, I Feel Pretty, mm-hmm. because the original conceivers of the play thought that, oh, people are going to be down after this uh, tragic moment. Uh, let's lift their spirits with some nice, uh, tonally, <laughs> absolutely tonal Tonally off songs about uh, young Maria feeling pretty. Um, it it reminded me of let's say following the let's look at the film Schindler's List <laughs> and following the liquidation of Krakow. <laughs> Steven Spielberg was like, "Ooh, this is a downer. Let's have some scenes of uh, of uh, Schindler being a playboy, huh?" Oh. <laughs> I think there's an interesting contrast, though, that you kind of lose because the whole point is that Maria is completely ignorant to what is happening outside, and of course she has to have the big major come down with the news that her brother is now dead. So granted, this movie still kind of nails that scene without that song, but I do feel like there could have been if if they did reposition that song, like would that a contrast have been a little more starker? maybe maybe it would have been a little too much, but who knows? who knows OK. <laughs>
1: I really stunning and prancing Feel like running and dancing for joy For love by a pretty, wonderful boy Have you met my good friend Maria The craziest girl on the block You know her and minute you see her She's the one who is in an advanced set of shock she thinks she's in love, she thinks she's insane. La la la. She isn't in love, she's merely insane. It must be the heat or some rare disease. La la la. Or too much to eat. Or maybe it's sleep. Keep away from her, No, This is not the nerdy. No modest and pure, polite and refined. La la la. Well-bred and mature and had a parma.
0: obviously love the movie, and I can chalk it up to the fact that I love musicals, and I think I have a higher t- tolerance for camp than you do. Definitely. Um And one of the things that I found kind of interesting, though, was another kind of thing that was changed in adaptation was America, the other kind of famous song from this movie. America. They changed the lyrics of that song quite a bit for it, because apparently the originals, uh, let's... Be honest, a little problematic. Surprising with a movie that is already <laughs> kind of problematic in its treatment of uh, Puerto Ricans. <laughs> I don't see how John. Go ahead and explain. <laughs> but it's interesting because it kind of it it bookends it with the other song that they moved, which is uh, the uh, the ballad to Officer Krupke. <laughs> nice. But it's interesting because it kind of bookends like the whole point of the song of America in the movie, at least is to illustrate again that the American dream is kind of bullshit. You know, half the, half the well, Puerto Ricans singing the song are all about like, oh, America, it's a dreamland. You know, anything that has accomplished, anything could be accomplished here. And then the other half are kind of like the rebuttal to that is like, oh, yeah, if you're white. Um, and then what I thought was kind of interesting is the fact that they kind of juxtaposed that song with, uh, you know, G, Mr. Officer Krupke. Which is all about kind of how disadvantaged the white kids are, you know, being from lower socioeconomic status as well. So they both kind of have their own justification on why they need to be street ruffians, I guess. <laughs> well, we we don't live in Brooklyn, John, but you could argue that you know, like almost El- all they're all part of one class and they're mm. all disadvantaged by class in a way. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, they were they were adjusted for their content as well because. They they refer to some things that like um, unintended pregnancies or spousal abuse or alcohol or drug use that uh, apparently America's Virgin ears weren't quite mm-hmm. ready for. Um, it's worth noting that a year prior, uh, theaters did see their first on-screen toilet in the <laughs> movie Psycho. I forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so they were a little, yes, yeah, so they were a little protective, I'd say, of uh, America's delicate sensibilities back in 1960. Well, so, so. D- uh, Stephen Sondheim, he also said originally he did intend, there's a, the, the final line of that song, I believe, is, uh, hey, hey, officer, Krupke, Krup you. I think he he actually admitted yeah. he did intend, he did want to push the boundaries and include the F-bomb in there as well, but sadly, he couldn't. Yes, noted boundary pusher, Stephen You Stonheim. know what? <laughs> I don't like this attitude, okay? <laughs> You don't treat Steven Sondheim like the golden god that he is, the gift from heaven that he is. <laughs> well, no, because it it does point out something else, like, and that's the movie I think wants to espouse, or at least connect to, uh, let's say, uh, racial or class division, as well as the the disadvantages of working class people or people with no su- parental supervision, like the Sharks and Jets clearly mm-hmm. do. But, again, uh, pliés and jaunty songs, like, are ill-equipped to handle that. No. You're, like, you're going into war with, like, paper armor. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is why I don't like the musical as a format. Like, it doesn't happen in real life. And film is the, best, uh, the best-equipped best artistic medium to do that through close-ups, through non-diegetic music, through, you know, uh, non-histrionic acting. Like, it works. And so that's why I I, I love film, and that's why... I, I wish movies would approach kind of reality. Yes, they can take us on these flights of fancy, but I want it to approach reality as much as possible. And so when a movie like this can't, handle it or only touches on it in a superficial way, you know, while also having its like candy colored cake too, it's technicolor cake too. Yeah, it just doesn't quite work for me. Mm. Well, you're wrong. And I'll explain (laughs) to you why. Because part of the joy (laughs) also of movies is yes, that they do kind of take us away. But also, I think something that also you can appreciate from musicals is no matter what kind of movie you were in the mood for that day, at least this movie has something to serve to you. So were you looking for, you know, Dancing and awesome. high balletic I love art. sitting down for a six hour meal, you know, hoping, I, hoping my number comes. <laughs> yeah. <up. laughs> why not? I mean, that's part of the whole appeal of Bollywood and why, you know, American audiences, I don't think, kind of appreciate Bollywood movies is because whatever you were looking for that day, this movie has it. Does it have a musical number? Yes. Does it have high dramatic stakes? Absolutely. Does it have a comedy routine? Yes. That's also included. Does it have All serious right. melodrama? Absolutely. You get everything. And you know what? More credit to him. Good job. Yes, uh, well, throw it all in. Those, a Stew is better with more <laughs> ingredients. <laughs> sure. <laughs> let's throw in some tomatoes, some carrots, uh, some apples, beets, <laughs> marshmallows, <Potato> skin, <laughs> shrimp skins. <laughs> shrimp scampi. Anyway, just John- a whole plate of shrimp scampi in there. Why not? Somewhere
1: we'll find a new way of living. we're halfway there, hold oh, my hand
0: and I'll take you there, somehow, someday, somewhere. Let's talk about those stakes, because this is an adaptation of the classic uh, doomed romance, Tristan and Izolt. <laughs> um, and so, uh, in that case, it's played by the. Our two roles are played by Tony, an Italian guy, and Maria, a young second-generation uh, Puerto Rican uh, ingenue. Mm-hmm. It it's love at like uh, the original Shakespeare play. It's love at first sight, and they talk about marriage within about twenty four hours. So, <laughs> it was the sixties. It was a different time. It, this is true. It was pre you know. But well, so was Romeo and Juliet. Again, they could have died from bubonic plague. At any I think moment. they were also like fourteen. So you know, there's also that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, these these two are dedicated workers. Um, speaking of kind of class consciousness, there there's a sharp divide between Maria and Tony. I think from the sharks Sharks and Jets storyline, and also that they're they're also working, unlike the other ruffians. Mm-hmm. That is also true. Yeah, that's a like they give them they give them clear jobs. Maria is a dressmaker. Tony works at the local shop, like handling deliveries and closing up late at night. Mm-hmm. So, I. I I think I do like that, like disconnect, because it, it it requires them to draw like either Maria or Tony into their into their nonsense, like um in, into the, the control of the playground and gym. Essentially, that's what's at stake for these two these two gangs. But um yeah, for the, from that standpoint, the twenty four hour romance, uh, whirlwind romance, <laughs> and like I don't know, control of this playground in uh t- in a city block that's going to be demolished and <laughs> gentrified <laughs> in about six months. <laughs> I don't know, it just didn't grip me either. Mm. Like, it really, like, something more needed to be at stake. Like, say, your livelihood, like, this is your livelihood. Like, the community center or something, like, or or the big bad, you know, guys (laughs) are going to take down the community center. I would have preferred that. Well, I think, as cliche as it sounds. See, for some reason, I didn't mind that so much. And I think it's because, like, again, I was trying to put myself in the mindset. These are supposed to be teenagers. And nothing characterizes Mm. teenagerhood more than, you know, Believing that whatever you're involved in is the highest possible importance whatsoever, and so I yes. also kind of bought the whirlwind romance. It's like I just met this girl; she's the girl of my dreams. I'm over the moon. I'm mm. gonna marry her. Like that is totally a heightened emotion that an adolescent would have. So, uh, but again, the the problem with the movie is they had to cast like thirty year olds and put them in, yeah. you know, eighty pounds of makeup, so that uh, there's obviously well, that kind of shockingly. Yeah, shockingly they cast those uh those thirty year olds because even the Broadway cast was too mm. old. <laughs> and maybe not big enough names. No, <laughs> no. You need stars, Greg, you need stars in your picture. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like Richard Bramer and Russ Tamblin. Yeah, let's we can make fun of the, you know, thirty year olds populating the cast. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like stars of this movie, Russ Tamblin like damn, talk about talk about a dancer. <laughs> I think that's. Although that also, you could cite that as another kind of disconnect in the movies that they're all extremely talented dancers, mm-hmm. actors. Yeah. Eh, maybe leave a little to be desired. I mean, you're the one praised in the camp or whatever. <laughs> like I thought that would have been a, a feature, not <laughs> okay, a. Okay, fair point. Fair point. There's one character in particular I think it really works for, and that's uh, Baby John who's like the most green of the uh, group. He's kind of the he's kind of the young virgin. He's kind of the 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 one who can't handle kind of the violence on the same level of everyone else can. And when the lieutenant comes by, he's the first one who he kind of uh, pokes at because he knows he's the one who's gonna flip. Yes, and um, again, relative innocent. We see that he's he's broken down, but then. At I, I, this scene, I also wanted to bring up in terms of because this is supposed to be it's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. It begins as like a a wonderful a wondrous tanka vision vision mm-hmm. um, that only lightly touches on violence. <laughs> uh, little uh, baby John only gets like one little nick on his cheek. <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> but also the lows include uh yes a double murder in this rumble. But then following that a rape scene. Ah yes, that's also true. <laughs> that's also a little it's... a little incongruous. I will admit. <laughs> yeah and yeah the, and the fact that the movie's not equipped for it because i believe it's choreographed where they the the other jets because they want um they want revenge against uh, anita because her brother again their her brother has just um killed their leader and um they killed him in, in retaliation and Rita tries to you know um, ease the tensions however the way they choreograph this rape scene is that they literally pick up uh, baby john and kind of throw the, throw him at her <laughs> I think dance is a wonderful art form can say a lot. Um, However, the, the violence and ugliness of rape, probably, probably not the best solution. (laughs) I mean, I can't argue with you there. (laughs) Um, but again, like, I mean, what part of me again, feels like, what would they need to change in adaptation? We've already kind of discussed like the reasoning behind some of the other things that they've changed. I can't Mm -hmm. kind of imagine any other way they could have done it. Like, because, again, we've already started out with, you know, snap fights and pirouettes. So, it's like... I To just kind of omit it would feel like kind of... Omitting it would kind of feel like, I guess, kind of surrendering a little too much. But... Okay, yeah. Like, let's not... Like... I know you you think that the movie's not really equipped to kind of handle these darker elements, but to kind of completely Mm -hmm. leave them out or ignore them, like the fact that, yes, this is driven... Like, these disagreements, these conflicts are driven across racial lines. Like, yes, it doesn't go into too much detail, but to also leave out that detail would feel like a disservice, you know? And so I kind of feel... I don't... Like, not 100% the same way with the rape scene, but I do kind of appreciate the fact that they're like, well, like... For me, it's about the attempt, you know. <laughs> as okay. as as bad as that sounds, you know, it's like, all right, let's see if we can give this kind of scene the gravity that it deserves. And granted, does it okay. is it one hundred percent successful? Absolutely not. But you know, they tried. Yeah. They tried. Mm. All right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if we're you're grading intention. I'm kind of grading result. Yeah. And, okay. yeah. Classic John and Greg, you know, double act <laughs> we got going on here. Exactly. <laughs> Well it's, speaking of kind of adaptation let's get to the end because there's only one way a Romeo and, and Juliet's story can end. <laughs> well, not necessarily um, however, not necessarily cuz this one ends a little bit differently. Uh Well, yeah, uh, unfortunately that's in some convoluted way where both parties have to take their own lives <laughs> um, cuz they can't bear to live without each other. <laughs> uh this this one adapts it differently. It's um Tony seeks uh Chico. Uh whoever whoever was uh maria's intended uh before he came along, and they fell in love at first sight mm-hmm. he was rushing after her in the in the streets there's a reunion at the at the gym or or basketball courts that's uh in dispute um he gets shot and then um what seems like uh, Maria is about to shoot herself in a culmination of the classic Shakespeare play. Um, I did like those moments when she's pointing the gun at <laughs> gun at everybody. What do you mean you I'm enjoyed it? When was this side? It was of, dramatic. Well, yeah, where, where was this side of, of Natalie Wood? Yeah it, got, yeah, it got my blood pumping. Yeah, um, it's powerful, <laughs> powerful stuff. Yeah. Um, but instead, she, she, espousing, I think, the theme of the film, you know, against nonviolence, puts the gun down, and everyone just kind of walks away. Exactly. <laughs> what does this yeah. violence begat us? I question it. I question it. I thought it was great. I thought the ending was really uh, quite spectacular in the fact that it's kind of, even though it's not the only scene that's set at night, it kind of feels like the darkest. And again, the lighting feels the most dramatic. And you have to, you have to give credit yeah. where credit's due for the cinematography. I think that's the highest point of this whole movie like everyone gives like Definitely. Suspiria so much like and uh you know like oh like look at look at all the reds and you know deep colors it's like bitch they were doing this like a decade earlier come on look at this shit <laughs> not cheap italian films. No, okay them. they fair. weren't doing that <laughs> all right fine oh give this them a break cuz they're italian a... this was a hollywood mega spectacle <laughs> now who's racist <laughs> these italians
1: how do you fire this gun Gino just by pulling this little trigger How many bullets are left, Chino? Enough for you? And you? All of you, you all killed him, and my brother, and Rick. Not with bullets and guns, with hate. Well, I can kill too, because now I have hate. How many can I kill, Chino? How many? And still have one bullet left for me. No. <laughs> Don't you touch him.
0: Exactly. Uh but... Yeah again I can understand I can understand the intention because the open in sharp relief to the opening scene uh daytime everyone's wearing brightly colored clothes now like following the rumble the jets are all dressed in blacks and grays Mm. and whites um this scene takes place at night starkly lit by just the street lamps overhead like yeah i can i can understand the intention but i'm like this is is this this isn't where i wanted to go with the story (laughs) like i i want a, a musical to kind of lift me off my feet at the end uh with a strong closing number but like um What's another example of this? Uh, Fiddler on the Roof. And it ends with everyone just kind of like pouting and walking away. <laughs> Greg, the sugar is still... I, in a, Greg, in an the effort, sugar at the an beginning, effort beginning is to help the medicine go down. Okay? Okay, fine. <laughs> I I understand in an effort to, you know, you can't say, you know, detail these stories with a... Bi- or you can't exactly get your message across with a big happy ending. But, you know, it's just, still, I I think I, you should have thought about that when you went back to constructing the story. Um <laughs> But that's just, that's just my, that's just my taste. No, just no. My... See, you're, you're clearly wrong. Um, I think this movie's fantastic. I loved it. I thought it was great, and I highly recommend it to anybody. Um, there's a reason why, you know, such fine filmmakers like Lars von Trier and Michael Bay admire it. <laughs> Anything you were looking well, for in a movie, you can find in here. Exactly. I mean, I will point to it's it being a cultural phenomenon even today i mean if you snap your fingers and say like be cool and <laughs> like, people knows people know what you mean i mean i feel pretty in america are still stuck in people's heads to some extent i remember like wasn't there a gap ad um were they saying uh, america or something um i don't know <laughs> yeah i'm really reaching back in my mind palace okay. there um, but i think you dreamed this yeah. Rick. you dreamed this <laughs> yeah Definitely, uh, McCann, give me a call. Um, <laughs> th- yeah, I can't. I can't quite square. While uh, while the musical, the musicality of it is great, I will give it that. There's a lot to admire in this film, particularly the Oscar-winning performances by Marita Moreno and George uh, Chikar- Chikiris. Um I can't pronounce his name. He's Greek. He's supposed to be playing a Puerto Rican, <laughs> though. Um, it's fine. Um, Colorblind casting—that's what it was. <laughs> exactly. If yes, if your expectations for casting are set somewhere below bedrock, um, this movie will surprise you <laughs> in that they cast a, a Latinx actress as a, an actual Latin Latin person. There you go. Um, but but uh, yes, there's a lot to admire in the movie. However yeah it it there's this huge disconnect between wanting to be this kind of big happy musical but also a serious uh, socially political message um from the streets as uh, Sondheim also intended mm-hmm. uh we're going to have swear words in there and you know <laughs> refer to drug use and other things yeah <laughs> i th- but it, like uh, the point I was trying to make to you is again like musicals kind of they're this spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down so when they do have kind of dour endings it's kind of appropriate when you think about it because Mm. they've built you up and now you know we have to have the the cool down the cold shower so I, I'd I rather not have a cold shower. I'd rather know that I'm going to get a cold shower to begin no. with. Don't, don't, if anything, no, I don't want a cold shower after a nice hot bath. You're that the one who's, awful. you're the one who's always like, oh, like movies should reflect reality. You just want like a straight yeah. cold shower. That's all you want. Exactly. No. John, Variety how, is how the spice horrible of life. is it? How horrible is it when you get out of the hot tub and into the pool? It's freezing cold. No. But like again, like it makes you feel alive. It charges you. <laughs> I will admit the musical the American number did make me feel alive. <laughs> did it give you life, like the young kids say? Yes. Doing the floss dance. Am I cool yet, millennials? <laughs> I I haven't heard that expression okay. yet, John. <laughs> Greg, I'm always on the pulse of what the young people are it. into these days. Have you heard about this Megan McCain? The kids are raging. They love <laughs> Megan McCain. <laughs> It, absolutely, we love her. Um, by the way, she's out sick uh, due to insults. <laughs> oh <so>. no! <laughs> you know, it's weird. It's weird when her parents like kind of bought her a uh, public life. Um, she only wanted the good sides of that. <laughs> uh, well, Greg, it sounds like we want to put a spotlight on Meghan McCain. <laughs> what else yes. should we put spotlights on? But I, I don't know. I mean. The fact that you said Spotlight, you know, gives me an idea for a segment we could do at the end of every episode. Even if we don't recommend the classic movie that we watched, and we do most of the time with reservations. (laughs) But let's look at something that we can unabashedly recommend in a section that we can call hmm, Spotlight. 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 Spotlight.
1: It's time, Robbie. It's time.
0: I was going to say, Megan McCain recommends. <laughs> yes, Megan McCain recommends. I believe somebody it dug up some old tweets of like, I don't know, just the blandest pop songs from like <laughs> five, ten years ago. And Megan McCain was all over them. She loved them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, indeed she okay. did. Well, I think I have a movie she's going to love because Meghan McCain is really? nothing but a feminist. So, ah. I think we should recommend her a movie with a female superhero. Hmm. I I see you like Wonder Woman too mm-hmm. because she defends Israel. <laughs> Gal Gadot defends Israel no matter what. <laughs> I mean, the movie I'm about to talk about also kind of has like you know racial divides and wartime oppression. So, like, who knows? Mm-hmm. The theme seems to be pretty consistent. <laughs> okay. Because I caught on opening weekend the new Marvel film. Captain Marvel is it Captain Marvel or Captain Marvel? so uh there is an alien named Marvel, and that's where the name comes from and Unfortunately, I cannot okay. spoil for you who actually plays Marvel in this movie because ah. even though in the actual moment of the movie is actually played pretty flat, the implications of it I think are pretty big, given the whole history of you know Marvel comics and things like that, so i don't want to I okay. don't want to spoil it's, it so for it's it. Bang. Shut it's up! Okay, that was a spoiler, <laughs> and fuck you.
1: <laughs> Come on,
0: Pe- people are twice as sad as viewers as we are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, is, is play is playing Marvel. Um, obviously she's a Cree. Who? I, who? Honestly, I have no idea who she. Is. Like, who is Marvel? <laughs> I could go into. First of all, who is Captain Marvel? I've never heard of this. The, this is again the. They're taking somebody from the minor leagues, and it feels like giving them the, the big superhero treatment, John. So, uh, start with Captain Marvel. Who okay, so, uh, well, do you want me to go into the whole comic book history, or do you want me to just explain in the movie, in terms of the... Oh, we've got time. We've got okay, time. we've got time. All right, so, yeah. uh, Captain Marvel. Originally, he was a Fawcett Comics character, who now goes by the title okay. Shazam, because they can't use the name Captain Marvel, because ah. he's a DC uh, comic superhero. So that's actually Billy Batson who uses the magic word Shazam and becomes Captain Marvel. That was the original Captain Marvel. Uh, once okay. Fawcett comic closed and DC bought the rights to the character, they kind of put him on ice for a while. And so Marvel decided, well, if they're not using the Marvel character, we need to use a character named Marvel. Come up with something. All right. So he's an alien who comes down to earth and you know, he decides that the aliens he actually works for are not very cool. So he's going to side with the humans. We'll call him captain Marvel. He's called captain Marvel. Cause his alien name is Marvel. There you go. All right. Never really that popular. Fuck. All right. What do we do now? Mm-hmm. Uh, well his sidekick's pretty popular. Uh, uh, Ms. Marvel, she's cool because she's sexy and she's got games. Like, let's make her kind of the main <laughs> character. What's her name? Carol Danvers. All right, she's cool. Let's like ride her for the next few decades. Uh, let's put her in some weird storylines where she gets raped. Oh wow, we're really problematic, aren't we? <laughs> John, I didn't know. I didn't know what journey I was going on. <laughs> yes, you gotta, you gotta, tell me. These it's things. quite a roller coaster. <laughs> Man, they don't like the way we're treating this character. All right, well let's elevate her. Let's turn it turn into a feminist icon hey, let's retcon her history. Now she's like really big deal and she's really actually powerful. Yeah, screw it. Why don't we just give her the title of Captain Marvel? Okay. So that's the whole, that's a brief spiel on how the character. Okay. So so where do the writers and directors <laughs> of Half Nelson come <laughs> <Okay>. in? <laughs> well, because they love Brie Larson. And so as uh-huh. soon as they got Brie Larson on board, she's obviously, she has the kind of sway to be like, all right, well, I want I want to work with the directors I like. <laughs> mm. so, all right. So who's some indie directors we can get cheap? <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> cheap and do what we say and exactly and don't have to touch the action scenes, which obviously it shows because yeah. these are some of the blandest. All right, let, let me get to my overall thoughts of Captain Marvel. It's fine. Yeah. Um, again, classic Marvel movie syndrome, which is like solid B. Good job. I probably mm-hmm. won't rewatch it unless I'm bored on Netflix one day. Who knows? Or sorry, Disney Plus. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> it's. It, uh, I do wish the fact that they kind of played up the fact that she's a female a bit more. Like, again, like, the whole feminist bona fides felt so kind of baked into a Wonder Woman. That's why it felt so kind of palpable. Here it's kind of, like, they do kind of toy with the idea as the fact that she's one of, like, she's an Air Force pilot. Uh, spoiler alert. Her, her history is kind of a mystery, but she discovers that she was one of the first female Air Force pilots. And, you know, she obviously deals mm-hmm. with a lot of... um. Uh, deals with a lot of strife with male power figures patronizing her, like kind of treating her as lesser. Um, But kind of the weird thing structurally about the movie is the fact that she starts off with amnesia with already the superpowers. So you kind of lose that Mm. great edge of any kind of superhero origin story, which is the zero to hero aspect. Like part of the joy of Iron Man is watching him toy around with the machine and fling himself into a wall. Part of the joy of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is the fact that Miles runs away from every fight until the final climax. <laughs> like mm. you do, kind of want to see your character develop from nothing to something, but from the very outset, she already can shoot photon blasts out of her hands. So there's not much for her to kind of, or she's already kind of like there's not much obstacles for her to face. John, why are you imposing limits? on limits? <laughs> so, I, And that's, but again, like going back to the the whole thesis of the, like the the movie. Obviously, they can't have her too lowly, or else you know, oh, she's just yeah. You know. They they treat her as as everybody else, and obviously, they don't want to do. They don't want to treat this as every other Marvel product, mm-hmm. because after what nineteen films, <laughs> they finally did one centered around a, a female superhero. Mm-hmm. So. And obviously, I guess I guess they gotta play with formula in some way, or or do it in a way that feels empowering and but not patronizing. So yeah, it's it's, it's a very hard line they're trying to Exactly, walk. and they made it a prequel. It's set in 1995, so that way they can kind of give her more of a uh, influence on the greater cinematic universe and like try to explain why she's been mm-hmm. gone for so long. And uh, so the the main plot it's it, it centers around this these two alien races that are fighting one we've actually met before in Guardians of the Galaxy the kree and they're fighting the uh, mm. the the evil shapeshifting skulls or maybe they're not so evil after all maybe we should continue into the uh. third act and see <laughs> so that's where you get the kind of uh, you know like uh, maybe maybe they're villains maybe they're just simply refugees you never know uh it left ambiguous oh. <laughs> i would say left ambiguous but it's not <laughs> um. okay um and like you said it's directed by the duo behind you know short term 12 and half nelson and there's only there's really one in particular scene where uh that takes place in like louisiana where it goes like steady mm. cam at sunset and they're, run- they're running into a field and i'm like oh that's where they were hiding this whole time
1: mm-hmm. but yeah. then
0: behind them it's ben mendelson in fucking green horrible makeup and it's like oh, what is going on here <laughs> it, 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 that's the mississippi grind tribute, John. Okay. come on <laughs> So, it's 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 not bad, but, you know, I, I do feel like the directors were not suited for the material. Uh, Brie Larson mm-hmm. gets a great performance. She's kind of got this kind of cocksure attitude, and I think she brings a lot to kind of the character. Even though the character is kind of like a blank slate when we first meet her, she's got amnesia. So, uh, oh, okay. like, again, she's doing her best with, again, like that material uh, my major complaint being the fact that yes we don't really see her grow too much because she's already kind of a superpowered badass from the beginning and now it's just her discovering her past and discovering how she's been taken advantage of up until this point so so but it's a you know solid popcorn entertainment like all marvel films so i have to recommend it so worst ways to spend your box office money so go check it out Yes, and you'll be supporting feminism, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stick it to the trolls. Yeah. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I'm glad you can kind of bring it back to just the movie and not... Okay, because I, I don't know, I'm going to be seeing it uh, this week, and I'm not sure I can kind of judge it based <laughs> on like everything that's going around. <laughs> like Just people who clearly just don't want a female-centered superhero movie, even though Wonder Woman was fine two years ago, and I'm sure this one is fine as mm-hmm. well, so... I don't know, I, I'll judge for myself. Um, okay. Check out Spotlight next week. Um, you but... can't spotlight the same movie I just did. You're right, I know. That, we don't do that. We don't do that. We here. don't do that. That would be that would be no. lame. Speaking of lame, what do you have for Spotlight, Greg? John, it is not lame, okay? okay. I I'm going to take you on another patented uh journey oh of mine. Lame. Are you ready? Strap in, folks. Uh, you and I like the website, the AV Club. Mm-hmm. Well, you like it more than I do. Um, Although it's changed a lot. It's, it's no longer as sarky as it was uh, back in the day. Now it seems more mainstream. They do like junket interviews and things like that. But yeah. Anyway, they had a really good uh piece by Randall Coburn this week called uh, The Passion of the Christ was a blunt force weapon evangelicals were looking ah, for. Ah, yes. I, I didn't get a chance to read it, but I put it on my reading list. So please sum it up okay. for me, please. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, so it sums up, it's actually like a kind of shoe leather reporting that Coburn does. He actually asks um, people, not only in his vicinity, but also kind of evangelical leaders and and a few other like uh, folks and professors at the time to say what the kind of uh, cultural significance was that this movie that literally centers on the torture of Christ, like what, like how it became a massive hit and now the highest rated R movie of all time. Mm -hmm. And so the conclusion as the title kind of kind of gets to is that um finally like this was something that um really galvanized uh, the evangelical movement back in the day um remember that this was an election year again so like already it feels like our guy george w bush against like this uh kind of and and the specter of um bill clinton getting an oval office that kind of reignited the culture moral majority yes the culture <laughs> wars yeah also f- festered by fox news which was i think only yeah uh not even 8 years old at this point. I know it's impossible to believe it's been such a kind of part of our the background viewing of at our uh, crazy uncle and aunt's place, but um <laughs> don't forget uh first state to legalize gay marriage, Massachusetts was also in the early 2000s, so again, yeah, a lot of big yeah, moments, so a lot of a big a things happening culturally. Well, exactly, and I think so if I don't see a lot of new stuff over the, over the next few weeks, I am going to be spotlighting things uh, from this particular era. Cause reading it, it, it gave me like a, a flush of emotions back to this time. Cause we are, we are about to leave the uh, teens. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's gonna, we're going to blink. It's going to be 2020 any second now. So <laughs> like, obviously with the 20 year cycle, we're going to have to start, nos- we're going to start having nostalgia for the aughts. And you know, this, these were very formative years for us. And um, we may look at passion of the Christ in a few short weeks, hint, hint, um, <laughs> But it's a it's a really good piece. Again, like it feels like actual reporting, not just not just some commentary that some crackpot came up with. Like, oh, I don't like immigrants, so they shouldn't be here. <laughs> or, oh, I didn't like Passion of the Christ. You know, forget it. <laughs> so, or it's actually a really important film. Um, but he does draw like a lot of good conclusions from the people he's interviewing. And um, what I wanted to add to the discussion was that yes. Um, Again, it it was like a galvanizing force for Christians to see, like, okay, clearly this is what we're this so clearly distills like what we what we believe in that um the savior, which has is kind died of horrifying when you think about it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because this is also an era I think defined by bloodlust. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, <laughs> there were movies, explicitly horror movies, centered just around torture. Mm, that's true. The Saw movies so, were starting to come out. Yeah. It was also in an era before Prestige TV, so if you did want to feed this bloodlust, you can only find it in theaters. You couldn't find it on premium channels or cable TV Mm, yet. Got it. And the other thing, yeah, that I kind of wanted to pick up on is that, and maybe the author doesn't necessarily speak to this, but you, you and I grew up in the church, and... The, the very first line, this was this was such a galvanizing line. Um, uh, somebody interviews. The first line of the article is: it was, "It was the first R-rated movie I was allowed to see in theaters, mm. which was a big deal for me at the time." Mm. And so, I think that's the other like key point to this too, because we grew up with like Christian family, fam- family friendly entertainment. So again, it was so like it felt like almost empowering, like to say that hey, we can enjoy the same raw violent stuff <laughs> that you can. <laughs> Again, we won't touch any sex, though. (laughs) No, no, no. Of course not. Janet Jackson exposed her nipple. Like, yeah. The horror! That was the the degradation of America. That was the bottom of the barrel right there. We can't have any of that, but... (laughs) We can watch a man get brutally beaten for two hours. Yes. (laughs) That's perfectly fine. In fact, that's edifying. It's edifying, yeah. It makes us look like the victim. um, Which also, if we could say, like, oh, in a post-9-11 world, um, one of the very few instances in which America could play the victim. (laughs) So, yeah, I, I guess upon reflection 15 years later, Randall Coburn does do a good job of kind of kind of summing up everything that was going on culturally and what made uh, Passion of the Christ such a kind of um, cultural flashpoint back in the day, mm-hmm. in addition to being a financial success. So that's how you know it's Of important. course. <laughs> <laughs> if it didn't make money, no one would care because no, this is a society we live in these days. Yes. It's all about your output. Uh, again, our value is derived from money, so <laughs> what are you contributing? The, Bi- the Bible is the best-selling book around the world, therefore... <laughs> yes, the modern the Christian religion. values. What's selling? Mm. What's making money? Yes. <laughs> I believe uh, Jesus said in Matthew, um, <laughs> it's easier for a uh, camel to go through the eye of the needle um, unless you're rich, and then you can bore a bigger <laughs> hole. Or you can pay someone to go through that hole for you. <laughs> That's yes. too much work. You could pay your workers. You're stimulating the economy when you pay your little ones to bore holes to the eye of the needle so that you can enter the gates of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, looking back on it 15 years ago, like knowing that was like what mainstream Christians were looking for now today where they're mm-hmm. looking for like, I guess we're kind of moving past the whole God's not dead phase and like the heaven is for <laughs> real phase. But I don't know. It's hard to judge. What would I prefer? What would I prefer our Christians kind of snacking on? Both are kind of unnutritious, but... You know, it's just kind of funny how the how the trends change, how the the lay lines kind of shift based on what like the evangelical Christians are looking for. Yeah, well, it's still a war, and it's still like we're the victims. Yeah, that's so true. Like yes. that's, I don't know what the next uh, flashpoint will be in that fight, because um, we're always fighting. No, <laughs> Never stop fighting. <laughs> I mean, I would say more like safe space PC police kind of movies, but we already covered that with God's Not Dead Three, yeah, we already, A yeah, Light we already in covered the Darkness. That, yeah. Which mm. we'll be doing next week for this podcast. Right, Greg? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no. We're doing all of the... Oh, shoot. Now I can't remember their name. Um, <laughs> who are the filmmakers behind Facing the Giants and Fireproof? I think Fireproofs, it's Pure like Flix? The Brothers or It's something. called Pure Flix, right? Pure, uh, Pure Flix is like a subsidiary of Sony or oh, something. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's another. There's a lot of the movies, at least at the start, like a uh, big hits like uh, Fireproof, were partially financed by like a church out of, out of Georgia, yeah, or exactly something. some kind of mega church, and then you know mm-hmm. they have cheap extras, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and scripts and talent. <laughs> and- <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yes. Who am I to complain? They probably make better movies than I do. So, <laughs> Greg, look, you're the next. You're the next Steven Soderbergh with your iPhone. Okay. Absolutely. If that's all he needs, that's all you need, okay? Yep. I'm making the next High Flying Bird <laughs> the, the, the movie that I really like that lit the world on fire. Everybody go see High Flying Bird. <laughs> I'm more of a tangerine fan myself. Mm. Oh, gosh, we're full of recommendations. Greg, where can our audience go and find more recommendations and our thoughts if they're so inclined? Well, of course, it's our social media feeds. Mm. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Twitter at Aspiring Snobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on Bebo. <laughs> Just got our first Friendster page. Um, We're on MySpace. We're on Yahoo yep. Finance. <laughs> did, did Yahoo ever? What, what, what did Yahoo have for social media? Uh, I don't, I don't, well, Oath was like the company. <laughs> Oath Oath would be a good name for a social media platform. I that's think. a little too. Uh, well, but, I was gonna say it's a little too grandiose, but anything named Oath. Yeah, that's true. They were trying to maybe for an evangelical Christian. There crowd, you go. Well, they were trying to back off of the huge major hack that they. Had. So it's like our oath to you. Wow, yeah, that'll yeah. make up for all my data being lost. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Facebook's about privacy anyway, now. We promise not to share. Yes, we promise not to share any of your data. However, if you don't mind your data being <laughs> taken from you and sold to advertisers, you can email us at at gmail.com. Yes, be part of all the great mailing lists that we send your. We sell your email to. <laughs> No, we we currently have zero emailing lists, you will get no spam yeah, from Don't us. worry about <laughs> it. So yes, reach out to us for your with your questions, comments, and recommendations. We're always looking for new movies to revisit. Yes. And um since we've given you just an hour of audio gold. <laughs> mm, just pure comedy brilliance. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was gonna object to the to the term brilliance, but object like, even the, I word, was object word, to even the, the word comedy is a stretch. <laughs> But in any event, do us a favor. Go to that review portion of whatever podcast service you're on right now. Uh, Apple Podcasts, hopefully. Go ahead, give us a five-star review. Say, hey, these guys are great. Um, we'd really mm-hmm. appreciate it. It'll help more people find the show. And, um, yeah, we'll we'll be able to uh, let people know our brilliant thoughts and as well as yours. Exactly. Uh, let your voice be heard. And we can all build this aspiring snobs community together. Yes. Now, John, the, another way in which we build that Aspiring Islam's community is by letting people know what movie we're watching next week so, they, so that they can watch along with us. Well, Greg, a little bit of history about me. Mm. I'm getting married in two weeks. So no, I was in the mood, boy, here I we was go. In the mood for something romantic. <laughs> <laughs> so, and because I'm in charge of picking the next wow, movie, I'm going to wow, force wow, you... Wow. To watch Moonstruck. I <laughs> do. Uh, that's cool that you're getting married. I'm not gonna be able to make it so I've got <laughs> have to take a rain check on that one. You're so mature. I think that's what that's what makes you such a fine podcast host. It's your maturity. Yep. Mm-hmm. But Greg, aren't you excited for Moonstruck? I, I can't believe you haven't watched it, it, it all the way through because this this movie was on in the background of our house growing up <laughs> quite a bit <laughs> because it it's was one of our, our dad's favorites. Yes, so. it was always on cable and it's one of those movies where you would stop everything and watch it about halfway through. But yeah, I, I've never actually sat down and watched it beginning to end. So I'm happy to do that. Yeah, well, you're gonna you're gonna you're in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to do that and I'm happy to be part of your special day. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I will be rolling my eyes through every photo, <laughs> okay, <laughs> and sarcastically smirking and just like, gee, these. Two That's are... what Photoshop is for. I'll fix your eyeballs. <laughs> I'll give you lizard eyes. Can you fix? Know. Yeah. Can you fix more things about me? Um... <laughs> Wait, that, that well, Greg. Photoshop me... can only do so much. I know. Okay, which, we're, John... gonna de- we're gonna need. We're going deepfake AI to do anything else to yes. you. <laughs> But John, that reminds me one important question before we leave. Oh yes. Are you a shark or are you a jet? <sighs> Greg, when you're a jet. You're a jet till your first cigarette, till your last dying breath. So you, <laughs> I, I assume that's answer in the affirmative for the jets. <laughs> yes, that is a yes. Okay. I am a solid jet. Okay, but I'm marrying a shark, so you I, know <laughs> it's it's kismet. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so what did what did you think? What did your Puerto Rican partner think of this movie? Did did you watch it? with he, you, he refused to watch it <laughs> <with me>. <laughs> <laughs> Did did he have some objections to Natalie Wood playing? That was definitely part of it. Also, he just doesn't have an affinity for old movies like I do, unfortunately. okay. so right. mm-hmm. he he watched he watched House Hunters International on his iPad. <laughs> and you know what? That's what makes the relationship work, guys. I okay. should start my own podcast about relationship. Th- goals. This is what I wanted to do. I wanted to start a podcast called Aspiring Spouses. Um, <laughs> no. you could talk talk to us all about wedding planning no that's just that's too raw <laughs> it's too okay. close it's too real all right nobody yes. wants to listen to that okay. it's 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 hard enough actually dealing with it in the time to also think about it in terms of podcast content that would just be too much too much <sighs> oh you weren't gonna ask me <laughs> what you weren't gonna ask me <laughs> oh, oh, oh all right i guess you were setting me up <laughs> i <Yeah. forgot. laughs> greg are you a jet or a shark well I thought the answer was clear. I'm Officer Krupke. <laughs> oh that's a good point. <laughs> I'm pear shaped like Officer Krupke. I have a stu- I have a bad posture like him. And I'm a square, who's above all square. this violence. And yeah. you're a total nerd. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna sing a song about you and insult you. <laughs> yes, Actually, that's... no. That song's not even to Officer Krupke, it's to some other Brando. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's just trying to do his newspaper business. Gosh. Mm. Ugh, these hooligans they just can't they just keep putting the small business man down. They, they even take over the apothecary that poor that poor <laughs> schmuck <laughs> he was my favorite character such a uh, man he was he was <laughs> probably should have saved this for the actual discussion but yeah. oh well. <laughs> It's like a little treat. A little yeah. Treat for, the, for, the for the real heads. This is the, this is the <laughs> icing on the cake. We gave them the, the great foundation with the the first layer was the discussion of the film itself. Second layer uh, was the spotlight, and now this is the icing on the cake. Mary Barry and Paul Hollywood love this. Mmm. That juice. That's podcast gold, my friend. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. <laughs>